Father in heaven, we come before you this morning um, seeking to learn of you and how to do ministry Christ's way. Um, speak to each one of our hearts and let this session be a blessing and encouragement to each one of us and to better prepare us to be missionaries on secular campuses. This we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right. I was told yesterday that I spoke too fast, but nobody let me know. Um, so uh, if you find me speeding or speaking very fast again, just let me know, please, and I'll adjust. Because I have a tendency to speak very, very, very fast, and I don't want you to, to lose me in that, so just let me know. So we're looking at Christ's method alone, or a practical approach in ministry to academia. And in a nutshell, we're talking today about friendship evangelism. So I'm going to begin by asking you, when you hear the phrase friendship evangelism, what do you think of? What comes to your mind? What is friendship evangelism? Purposeful friendships. Purposeful friendships. Okay. Any other thoughts? Friendship evangelism. Ministering to your friends. Okay. Bringing people to Christ through friendship. Any other thoughts? Friendship evangelism. Yes. Bible studies. Okay. Let me ask you this, and along with that same thought, what makes a friendship evangelistic? So you guys tell me what friendship evangelism is. What makes a friendship evangelistic? Is it just become evangelistic? Like what makes When you talk about Christ, any other thoughts? A clear difference in the way of living. A clear difference in the way of living. I saw a hand on the other side. Purposefully talking to them about God or making the time to do that. Okay. So these are all thoughts that. We're going to keep uh, mulling over in this session as we talk about Christ's method alone. And I just want to read a couple of quotations. And like I said, you just have to follow along with me as I read this. This one's from Christ's Object Lessons, page 229. And it says this, The Lord desires that his word of grace shall be brought home to every soul. To a great degree, this must be accomplished by personal labor. This was Christ's method. His work was largely made up of personal interviews, and he had a faithful regard for the one soul audience. Okay? And so she's saying here that to a great degree, this work of bringing God's word to home to every soul be done by personal labor, right? And this was more of Christ's method. It's the idea of the one soul audience, the personal labor for souls, all right? And so, from Ministry of Healing, page 143, and I'm going to have us memorize this together this morning. Is that okay? We'll stretch our minds, but it's, it's very short. It's just one paragraph. So just repeat after me, and we'll try to get it to memorize it by the time we're done here this morning. And it says this, Christ's method alone, will bring true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs. He won their confidence. Then he bade them follow me. 
right? So, and this is Ministry of Healing, page 143. So what we are going to do then is we're going to break down Christ's method and we're going to look at what each step involves and how that applies to us as campus missionaries because she says Christ's method alone will bring true success, right? So this method alone and no other method will bring true success. So if Christ's method brings true success, I want to know what that method is, amen? Because I want to have success in my ministry, okay? So Christ's method alone will bring true success in reaching the people. Is that is that easy to memorize? Yeah? We'll, we'll, good, we'll go over it a couple of times together. So Christ's method alone will bring true success in reaching the people. The first step, he says, the Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. So we're going to talk about mingling. Um, so he's the Savior mingled. Oh, I'm going to get stuck here. So the Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. Okay. And for this one, I want us to look at Matthew 5.13. Um, so if you guys have your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. If you're there, say amen. Um, and if you're not there, have mercy. Matthew 5.13. Okay. Somebody who's there, read it out loud. So we're talking about the importance of mingling. This was the first step in Christ's method. He mingled with men as one who desired their good. And the way that I summarize it is through Matthew 5.13. So it says here that we are the salt of the earth. So when you study the Bible, sometimes you come across these comparisons or whatever you call them in English. I'm not an English major. But um, one thing that's good to do is to step aside from the text and just study the comparison in the literal sense. So let's talk about salt literally and then see how that applies to us spiritually, yeah? So he says we are the salt of the earth. So let's talk about salt. What do we know about salt? Why do we use salt? Why salt? How salt? Seasoning. What else? Taste. What else? To preserve. Uh, anything else? Healing. Say that again. It used to be currency. Okay. What else? It has to be mixed evenly. That's important. Anything else about salt? Okay. So, you guys have just told me about salt adding seasoning, flavor, preservation, taste, healing, all the different aspects of salt. And in a practical sense, this is what we are supposed to be, right? We are the salt of the earth. And so what does this mean for how we relate to people in our secular campuses? I'm going to give us uh, four quick principles that bear the application of being the salt of the earth, being the salt of our secular campuses, and how we bring this into our friendships, and how this applies to us as we're trying to reach people um, on campus. The first one is what I call getting out of the salt shaker, right? Now, do you add, this is a silly question, so just bear with me. Do you add salt to food or food to salt? You always add the salt to the food, right? In other words, what this means is that for us as Christians, we must be the ones to take the initiative, right? We have to be the ones to get out of the salt shaker and be the ones to initiate friendships, initiate conversation. Do you follow what I'm saying? What this means is when you go to lunch, for example, uh, dining hall, 
don't just sit there by yourself and moan and wait for somebody to come and talk to you. As a Christian, go make friends, you know. Go find somebody who's lonely and say, can I sit with you? Hi, my name is Tando. Do you mind if I join you for lunch? With a bright smile on your face, amen? You take the initiative, be social, make friends. Um, I know some of us are shy. I used to be shy, believe it or not, very, very shy. Amy knows, she can testify to the fact. But being social is a grace that you must cultivate as a Christian. You want to be the most loving, most nicest, most brightest Christian out there, making friends. Make sense, guys? Be the social one. Be the one to take initiative, make friends. Um, and I would venture to say, you know, if you're in a cafeteria or wherever you are, don't, be, don't sit by yourself. You know, at lunchtime or dinner time, or just make friends. Use the time. We talked about time yesterday, so use your time wisely. While you're eating, make a friend for the gospel. Amen? So take the initiative. The second aspect is what I call contact. Um, and somebody mentioned this very important is that when you add salt to food, you have to mix it evenly, right? You don't just put the salt on there and then just leave it and start eating. That would be kind of uncomfortable, right? You have to mix the salt into the food, make sense? And in the same way, this means that for us, we need to make contact, right? We need to, you don't just uh, make this casual, hi, how are you type of friendships. You want to get close to people. You want to actually mix, mingle, make contact. Do you follow me? So what are some practical ways to make contact with people? That means you visit them in their dorm rooms, you have lunch with them, dinner dates, um, you pray with people, you make phone calls, all these different things. And what you want to do, if you have somebody that is a Bible study interest or somebody you, you're reaching out to, you want to make contact at least once a week. At least once a week, that person must see you or hear from you or just have, have contact with you, right? You want to get close to people. You want to make contact, right? Um, the third thing is you talk about seasoning and preservation. I mean, the way in which when you add salt to food, it adds flavor and preservation. And so what this means for us is that when we're reaching out to people on campus or wherever we are, we need to be the flavor and the preservation, right? So practically, what does that mean? I'm looking for responses here. What, that we are to be the flavor, what does that mean? Joyful, I love that. Just sums it up, right? In other words, you don't want to be the gloomy, sad, always uh, depressing one, okay? Because nobody wants to be around people who are depressing and sad and gloomy all the time because it's depressing, okay? And on a secular campus, people are stressed, yes. They are tired. They are often depressed and they're weary. And what they need is bright, smiling, joyful people. Okay, and so you want to be the flavor, you want to be the seasoning, the taste, and the joy, right? And I know as Christians, we too face trials, and we can't always be happy. Is that true? Because sometimes you, you'll, feel, you'll feel down, and that's okay. But remember that joy is a principle, not a feeling. So that means even if I'm going through trials and hard times, I still have joy because it, with Jesus, it's always good. It's always joyful. It's not about feeling good. It's about having Jesus and being joyful all the time, literally being full of joy. And when you have that kind of joy in you, people want to be around you. Isn't that right? They just, they just like, she's just so joyful, so happy. I just want to be around her. Okay, so we want to be the flavor and the preservation. Um, the last thing I'll talk about under mingling is 
The quotation says that he mingled with men as one who desired their good. So when we mingle with people, we need to desire their good. What does it mean to desire somebody's good? To want the best for them, right? And what this means for us is that when we're forming these evangelistic friendships, reaching out to people Christ's way, we want to reach out to them for their own sake, and we want to learn to love them just because they are people. Sometimes we make this mistake of ministry of treating people as objects to be baptized. I just want you to get baptized. That's my only reason why I'm mingling with you. If you do that, people will know. You know what I'm saying? They will know you don't really love them. And so what you want to do is to learn to love people just because they are people. It's like, yes, I want you to be baptized. Yes, I want you to be a soul in God's kingdom. But I also want to mingle with you just for your own good, just for your sake, just because of who you are. Makes sense? So learning to love people just because of who they are. And so I'm going to read a quotation here from... Review and Herald, 1888, uh, April 24th. And it says, Jesus came in personal contact with men. He did not stand aloof and apart from those who needed his help. He entered the homes of men, comforted the mourner, healed the sick, the sick, aroused the careless, and went about doing good. And if we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we must do as he did. We must give men the same kind of help that he gave. In other words, Christ made personal contact with men, and he actually went out of his way to enter people's homes and to comfort the mourning, heal the sick, and arouse the careless. And this was how Christ reached people. So let's see if you guys are with me and you're memorizing this. Um, let's go from the top. I, I wish I could write it down for us, but this is forced us to memorize here. So Christ's method alone will bring true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them. Okay, and we're going to just take it step by step. And as we go through this, what you see is that it's literally a step-by-step -step process. So one step leads to the next step, right? And so he mingles with men as one who desires their good. Then he shows sympathy for them. So we're going to talk about showing sympathy um, in a minute. And what this is, and I hope it's, this is going to be very practical. This is just how you minister on it. Because we talked about the philosophy a lot yesterday. But how you actually do a ministry. How do you actually reach people on a secular campus? So showing sympathy. Um, for this one, I want to take us through Mark chapter 1. So somebody's there. Just read Mark 1 verse 41. So he's filled with compassion. Um, does somebody have a King James Version or NKJV? Uh, then, Jesus, then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I am willing to, I am willing to be cleansed. Okay, and so Jesus was moved with compassion. And those words, he was moved, he was filled with compassion. It wasn't the casual, oh, I'm so sorry that you're... Um, 
a leper, but it was literally his whole being was moved with compassion. And it was as if his, and the phrase that's used, moved with compassion, means his, his bowels were moved. Do you know what that means? It was, it was this deep, I am moved. My whole being is just moved and filled with compassion. Do you get what I'm saying? And so that, that's the kind of compassion that we are called to show, this, this deep, I'm actually moved um, for your sake kind of compassion. This is, I forget where this is from, but um, it's WM, I'm not sure what that stands for, page 64, and it says, go to your neighbors one by one and come close to them until their hearts are warmed by your unselfish interest and love. Their hearts must be warmed by what? Your unselfish interest and love. Sympathize with them. Pray with them and watch for opportunities to do them good. And as you can, gather together and open the word of God to their darkened minds. And so we must get close to people and show sympathy for them. When we talk about sympathy, um, it's from WM, page 64. What is WM? Welfare Ministry. Ministry. Thank you. It's like 64, yes. I'm like, I have no idea where that comes from. <laughs> All right. So when we talk about sympathy, what are some of the synonyms of sympathy? Mercy, compassion, anything else? Here's talking about sympathy, mercy, compassion. What other words? Love. Any other words? Kindness. Okay. Empathy. Very important. Okay. So all of these are what you kind of think of when you think about sympathy. Now, the word sympathy comes from the Greek sympatheia, and it breaks down so that the first part, sim, wait, I'm going to lose my notes here. Ooh. Actually means together. And then pathos means feeling, right? So when we talk about showing sympathy, what does that mean based on the Greek root of the word? Feeling together, right? In other words, sharing in people's feelings with them. The word empathy comes from the Greek empatheia, and it also breaks down into two parts. The first part, M, literally means in, and then pathos means feeling. So what does it mean to show empathy? To be in, to be in the feeling with somebody, to share in what they're feeling, make sense? Empatheia and sympathy. Compassion comes from the Latin compati, I'm probably mispronouncing it, forgive me, but it breaks down into two parts as well. The first part, com, means with, and the last part, um, pati, means to suffer, right? So when you say compati, it means to suffer with somebody, right? To literally suffer with them. And so all of these is what it means to show sympathy, to be together in the, to feel what people are feeling with them, to suffer with them, and to be moved with compassion means to exhibit all of these traits, right? So since we are students, how many of us are students, just by a show of hands? Students, okay. Um, so, okay, you can put your hands down. Since most of us are students and 
or the rest of us hopefully were in secular environments. And the question is, what are some practical ways to show sympathy on campus? What are some practical ways to exhibit compassion and empathy on campus? If you see someone down, stopping by, asking them, is everything okay? So if you see somebody who is down and you're walking by them, stop and ask them, is everything okay? What else? So helping somebody with their homework, and like, hey, do you need help with your math? I can help you. Yes, what else? Uh, at my campus, we have a group of us who do what is called the free hug. And we have a sign that says, we need a free hug just evening. And we sit around on campus. If anyone's down or anything, they can just come over and get a hug, and we can ask them what's wrong and talk to them. So offering free hugs, and people are feeling down, they can just come and get a hug. <laughs> OK. What else? Practical ways of showing sympathy on campus. Walking around with a smile. Okay. Anything else? Anytime you see someone just rustling, like maybe someone dropped their books, you walk over and help them pick up their books, or they spill their lunch plate, help them pick up their books. Just going out of your way to help people, whether they spill their lunch plate or whatever. Just going out of your way to be helpful, to show kindness. Sorry. Any other thoughts? What about mentoring somebody? If you see somebody falling behind and struggling in class or had an illness, mm -hmm. And mentoring people and helping them get through their classes if you're in a position to do that, definitely. Any other ideas? Making someone's day easier in any way. Making somebody's day easier in any way. And these are all great ideas and hope that they are practical, yes? I was hoping somebody would bring this up, but I don't know why nobody did. Because one of the easiest ways of showing sympathy is why you all say it is important and it's worth doing, amen? Those are some really good ways of just being a Christian on a secular campus. One of the most easiest ways of showing sympathy is just by being a good listener. Because people just need a listening ear sometimes. And especially when you're making friends, sometimes people just need to talk, right? And they just need somebody to just be there and to listen. So then the question would be, what makes a good listener? These should be at the top of our fingertips. Not being judgmental. Not being judgmental, very important. What else makes a good listener? Paying full attention, giving them your undivided attention. What else? Those are all good answers. Wait. Okay. Anything else? What makes a good listener? Yes. Not interrupting them when they're talking. Very important. Checking up on them later to show you that you were paying attention. Yes. Putting yourself in their shoes. Uh -huh. Connecting with people. Really connecting with people. Was there something else? I thought I heard. Taking notes. Um, mental notes, I hope. It'd be kind of weird to sit there with a notebook as somebody's talking, right? But taking mental notes, <laughs> I would hope. Yes. Is there anything else? Thinking positively. Eye contact, very, very important. Um, and all of this, and something else as well is reflecting what you're hearing back. So being a good listener, someone is just saying, I think you're saying this, is that right? Just reflecting back what you think that they're saying. So you actually seek to understand where they really are coming from. And being a good listener is very, very, very important um, people. And so these are all ways of showing sympathy, right? And so first you mingle with men as one desiring their good, then you show sympathy for them. 
And I have more quotations, but I read this one from Ministry of Healing. Well, I'll read, read this one later. Um, so let's go back to our quotation that we're going through this morning. Um, Christ's method alone will bring true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs. He won their confidence. Then he bade them follow me. So we talked about mingling as one desiring their good. We talked about showing sympathy. Now we'll talk about ministering to people's needs. And I hope you guys can see the progression, yes? As you mingle with people desiring their good, you'll find ways to show sympathy for them. And as you do that, you get to minister to their needs. It makes sense. It's, it's a logical progression. Do you see that? Um, I hope you guys can see that. All right, so ministering to people's needs. Um, we're not going to read the whole of John chapter 5, but if you have your Bibles, let's just turn there. Where's John chapter 5? Where's my Bible? <laughs> this is not good. Um, you know the story of the man at the pool of Bethesda, correct? How long was he lying by that pool before Jesus came by? How many years? 38 years. And when Jesus came by, what did he do for him? In verse 8, 7 and 8. Somebody read 7 and 8 for us. The sick man... And so you can see how Jesus heals the man, right? He's been lying there sick for 38 years. And when Jesus comes across this man, the man's immediate need is for healing, right? And so Jesus heals him. But when you come down to verse 14, somebody read verse 14 first. Okay. And so what you see here is the way in which Jesus meets both physical and spiritual needs, right? So the man's immediate need was for healing, but his true need was for a savior. And Jesus meets both of those needs, right? He has physical needs and also spiritual needs. Can you guys think of any other examples in scripture where Jesus met both physical and spiritual needs? What other examples come to mind? The man led through the roof. The man he healed him, then said, go and sin no more. What other examples? Everyone he healed, basically. <laughs> All right. And so, and I hope as you go through the Gospels, you can see that Jesus always touches people physically, but then also tells them, go and sin no more, or he heals them both physically and spiritually. And so when we talk about ministering to people's needs, we need to be aware of both their physical needs and their spiritual needs. And so I just want us to get practical again here and just talk about, when we talk about people's physical needs on a secular campus, what are some of the needs that students have, that your fellow students have? 
physical needs. Food is an important one, very important. Okay. What other needs do people have, physical needs? Food, water, rest, safety. Any other needs? Cash, money. Okay. Textbooks. <laughs> okay. Real friends. Come again? People need advice. Um, clothes. Any other needs that are unique to students? Hair. I'm wondering. Okay, I'm not sure with them. We'll put it up here. Wait, I heard something else. Oh, no, I, I said hair. Air. Okay, okay. <laughs> I thought you said hair, and she's like, what? <laughs> okay, my bad. Yes. Help with their assignments. Okay, so help with homework. Encouragement. All right. Breathing. Counseling. Counseling. Okay. And so the reason that this is important, and you can go through and identify more physical needs that students have. The reason why this is important um, in applying Christ's method is that you may not be able, I just want to read this quotation and don't ask me for a reference. I don't know why I found this, but I found it somewhere. And it says, we may not be able to touch a person where he is really hurting unless we first touch him where he thinks he is hurting the most. Do you get that? So we know what people's real need is, is Jesus. But we may not be able to touch them there until we first touch them where they think they're hurting the most. Right? So you need to address people's physical needs first, then lead them to Jesus. Now, what are some practical ways to meet some of these needs that you guys have identified? on a secular campus. What are some of the ways that we can, as students, minister to, minister to people's needs on, um, on a campus? Invite them to potluck. Very important. Come again? Okay. Any other ideas on how we can practically meet some of these needs? So help them if they need money for school, help them find scholarships um, online maybe. Start tutoring to help you with their homework. Give them a ride to Walmart. <laughs> okay, donate clothes. Some of us have clothes that we don't even ever wear. Um, give old textbooks away. Anything else? Share textbooks. Okay. Anything else? Organize study sessions. I love that. Very important. Organize study groups, study sessions. Also to the word safety. Um, if there is in a, in a bad relationship or something like that, you can be helpful to them in that situation. So being willing to offer counseling, helping people in bad situations. Um, anything else? Okay. I hope you guys are writing those down. Those are great ideas. Just some practical ways to minister to people's needs. Now I just want to give us a couple of things um, to help us as we're reaching people's needs. Two important things. 
first and foremost, remember that sometimes people don't even know what they really, really need, right? So let's go to the book of Acts and read this one quickly. Acts chapter 3. Yeah, they're saying, man, and somebody read for us verses 1 through 6 quickly. So I just want to use this to make a point very quickly. As this man is sitting by the gate, um, the beautiful gate of the temple, Peter and John walk by, and what does he ask of them? He asks for money, right? But what is his, he, does he know he can ask them for healing? He probably doesn't, right? And he's asking for money when he should really be asking for healing so he can go and make money for himself. Do you get what I'm saying? And he doesn't even know what his own true real need is. And so be aware, sometimes people don't even know what they really, really need. And of course, beyond healing, he needs Jesus too, but he doesn't even know that. But Peter and John are willing to lead him through to meet that need and to point him back to Jesus. So be willing to know that people don't know what they need, but you do, but you can't really touch them there first before you see what they think they need. And so touching people where they think they hurt first they get into their real, actual need. Now, um, we're going to read through, I won't read through all of this, but I want to take us through um, when meeting people's needs, something I call give and take. In Matthew 26, um, do you guys remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? Who did he take with him to that garden? He took Peter, James, and John. Do you remember how sorrowful he got in the garden? Do you remember? I don't know if you guys are with me because you're not answering me. It says that he got exceedingly sorrowful, correct? And according to the Gospel of Luke, he actually sweat great drops of blood, right? And I see in Jesus, there were times when he needed comfort too, right? The Garden of Gethsemane was one example. Do you get what I'm saying? In that garden, he needed his friends, Peter, James, and John, to actually minister to him and to actually comfort and pray with him, to follow that. And so even as we're trying to minister to people's needs, it's important to be vulnerable ourselves, to be real, so that people don't, you know, if you, if you are just giving, 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 it gets uncomfortable, right? People don't want to be the object of pity or of mercy. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's important to give and take. It's important sometimes to be vulnerable, just to sometimes need their friendship. Sometimes you just need to show that you need them as well. Get what I'm saying? That friendship is not just you giving, giving, giving. It's an actual friendship where you give and you take. Make sense? So give and take. Be willing to give some and take some too. Last thing on meeting people's needs, one of my personal favorites, Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse 
Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, and if we can read verses 5 to 10, whoever is there can read those for us quickly. Nine and ten. All right. So we have a situation here that um, is pretty simple, but also drives home a very critical point in meeting people's needs. We have two friends, or three friends actually. Um, our first friend will call him Rodney. Um, my sister Karen here. So Rodney is sitting at his home one evening and then Karen comes to visit him at midnight, right? And his cousin would have it, Rodney has to give her bread or food to eat, right? But Rodney has nothing in his house to give her. So what does he do according to the parable? He goes to another friend of his who will call Amy. Um, and he goes to Amy's house and he says, Amy, I have a friend who's come to see me, I need bread. What does Amy say? Trouble me not for I'm sleeping. Now, I, I find that funny because if you really are sleeping and you're in bed, <laughs> and he actually shouts, trouble me not for I am in bed sleeping, it's, it's kind of funny, right? Because if you really are sleeping, why are you shouting back? But, you know, this friend, you know, says, trouble me not for I am in bed. But does Rodney go away initially? He keeps on knocking, right? And he gets, he knocks so much that Amy gets annoyed and he gives him just because he's persistent, right? Just because he will not give up. She says, okay, fine, here's the bread, take it, just go away, just leave me alone. You get what I'm saying? And it's a lesson by contrast here. And Jesus says here that in contrast to this man in the parable, God is always willing to give, right? And so here's what this means for ministry. We're going to come in contact with people who have needs that we cannot meet. They'll come to us and we won't have bread to set before them. This parable tells us when you have that situation, what should you do? Go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I have a friend who needs bread. Give me bread so I can go back and give to my friend. Make sense? You're asking so you can give, right? And the principle is called asking to give, asking from the Lord. And as you receive, you're going back to give to those you're reaching out to. Does it make sense? So important point in meeting people's needs is you need to let Jesus meet your own needs first. Asking to give, saying, Father, I have a friend who needs bread. And I'm asking for me so I can go back and give to them. And it says here that whatever we need for ministry, whatever it is that we need, God will give to us. So basically we have no excuse. Make sense? And so asking to give. And so if you have a friend who has a special need or just their, whatever it is that you need to give to them and you don't have it, that's no excuse not to reach out to them because Jesus can give you what you need to go and give back to them, right? So whatever you need for ministry, whatever you need, God will supply, God will give. And so asking to give, very important. That means that we have no excuse. So if you are shy and you cannot um, be social, 
ask and you receive. Say, Lord, make me social, and he will give that to you. Amen? So whatever your need is for ministry, God will give to you. Does this make sense? Okay, so asking to give. And so that's meeting people's needs. Um, does anybody remember the whole quotation off the top of their heads? Who's a brave soul who wants to try it? Christ's method alone will bring true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs. He won their confidence. Then he bade them follow me. Okay. So we're going to talk about, we talked about mingling as one desiring their good. We talked about showing sympathy. We talked about ministering to people as in needs. Now we'll talk about winning their confidence, right? And on winning confidence, I really don't have much because it's, it's kind of, can you see the progression? If you're making a friend and you're mingling with that person as one who really desires their good, right? And you show sympathy for them and you minister to their need, you will win their confidence, right? It makes logical sense. Do you follow that? When people see that you really care for them for their own sake, that you've shown true sympathy, not sentimentalism, because sympathy is not being sentimental, like over-sentimental. You've shown true sympathy for them. You've met, you minister in whatever ways you can to their needs. You'll win their confidence naturally, you see. And so that's why Christ's method makes sense. Because as you mingle, you show sympathy, you meet their needs, you will win their confidence. And just think about winning people's confidence. Um, Simple things like, one thing that I would stress that is very important is people must know that you really do care for them, that your love is unconditional. Sometimes when you're making friends um, and you're doing this for the gospel is when you bring people to Jesus and they say no, we get discouraged. And we have a tendency to sometimes just let the friendship suffer, right? What you need to learn to do is loving people unconditionally. That means even if you don't accept Jesus, I will still love you as my friend. Does that make sense? Because you really are my friend. And this is friendship evangelism, but it's friendship first. You are my friend. And because I love you, I mean, I want you to accept Jesus, yes? But even if you reject him, I'm still going to love you. And that's what wins people is unconditional love. Makes sense? So your love must be unconditional. You're winning people's confidence. Simple things such as, you know, people, well, I guess let me ask you guys, what are some practical ways of winning and maintaining people's confidence? Just how do you maintain and win people's confidence and trust? Regular contact. Regular contact. Availability. Availability. Not talking behind their backs, very important. Telling them the truth. Being loyal. Keeping secrets, very important. Never betray a sacred trust. I mean, this goes in two ways. That means, yeah, just never be traced like a chest. That's all I'll say. I won't <laughs> give an example. Um, anything else? Hmm? Keeping your commitments. Um, 
mean what you say and say what you mean. And most important of all, I would say, is integrity. Just practice what you preach. That's what wins people's confidence the most. Just be a man and a woman of integrity. So people can know they can depend upon you. So if you say you will be there at 2 p.m., be there at 2 p.m., right? Be dependable. Just be trustworthy and be a man and a woman of integrity. Make sense? So winning people's confidence. And the final step in Christ's method, we're getting to the end of this, that's why you've gone through all of this. You've mingled as one who desires their good. You've shown sympathy. You've ministered to their needs. You've won their confidence. Then what do you do? You bid them follow Jesus. You bid them follow Jesus. And what I love about applying this and really just putting Christ's method to work is that, you know, if, if you're making friends this way, and they're just mingling, desiring the good, you're sharing sympathy, you're meeting their needs. People are going to ask you, why are you so nice, right? They're going to ask you, right? They'll be like, why are you so nice? Why do you care so much for me? Why are you such a good friend? And your answer should be to give Christ the credit. To be like, you know, it's just because of Jesus that I am like this. Because people will ask you, that kind of ministry well, as Amy said yesterday, we'll beg the question. That's what Christ's method does. It just it begs the question, why is this person just so nice, just so friendly? And when they ask you, give Christ the credit. It's all because of Jesus. And that's how you bid people to follow Christ. In an opportunity to bid them follow, you also will share your personal testimony with them. And for sharing testimonies, Keep it simple, keep it to the point, and magnify Christ. Um, you can go back and read Acts 22, and it's Paul's testimony before. Um, we won't read the whole thing. But four things that Paul does in this testimony in Acts 22 is he talks about life before Christ, how he met Christ, life after Christ, and his future hope with Christ. It's very simple, right? Life before Christ, how he met Christ, life after Christ, and then future hope with Christ. And so keep it simple, keep it practical and relevant, and just share it and magnify in Christ. And of course, when you bid people follow Jesus, you do that through Bible study. That's like personal Bible study. And the objective of this kind of evangelism, this kind of friendship, is you're leading people to a point where they can say yes to Bible study. Make sense? Because after you've gone through all of this mingling and sharing sympathy and meeting their needs and winning their confidence, your aim is to get them to say yes to Bible study, to get them to say, yes, I want to study God's word with you, right? And that's when Amy will step in and talk about how to do, how to give a Bible study. Amy will take us through that. Ultimately, remember, this is Review and Herald, um, 1885. And it says this, This was the way the Christian church was established. Christ first selected a few persons and bade them follow him. They then went in search of their friends and relatives and brought them to Christ. This is the way we are to labor. A few souls brought out and fully grounded in the truth, like the first disciples would be laborers for others, right? And so how the church was established, Jesus took 12, right? He took 12 and bade them follow him. Then those 12 went out and then brought 
others. Make sense? And that's how we are supposed to labor. You reach one person, and you make that one person your, you go all the way for that one person. And when they, they are converted, they go out and they bring more people. Make sense? And that's personal labor one-on-one -on -one with people, just like one soul a year. And on campus, our, is it our watchword? Um, is each one reach one. That's how we try to encourage our students to emulate this idea of, as a, as a student each year, just reach one person, right? And you reach this one person through applying Christ's method. And as you do that, you bring them to Christ. Next year, they reach one person. So if you imagine, if you have 20 students on a campus one year, right? And each one reaches one. Next year, how many people do you have on the campus? 40. The next year, 80. And the next year, one. And it keeps on growing. Makes it so each one reach one, and you keep on growing every year. If you can reach more than one, that's great. But just reach one each year. So each one reach one. And you do that through applying Christ method, through this personal contact, this personal one-on-one -on -one audience, one-so audience with people. And ultimately, to conclude everything, I'm going to have us read through the quotation one last time, see if you guys can remember it. Um, so, Ministry of Healing, page 143, Christ's method alone, alone. will bring true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs. He won their confidence. Then he bade them follow me. Does a progression make sense? You don't just jump to step five before you've gone through steps one through four, right? And step five is where Amy will now step in and talk about how do you actually bid people follow Christ through Bible studies. But before you get to that stage, there has to be these preliminary steps of mingling as one desiring the good, showing sympathy, meeting their needs, winning confidence. Then you say, all right, now that you've come this far, follow Jesus. And I just want to stress the fact that this evangelistic friendships is a friendship, right? It's not just people as objects, it's people as people. Love people for who they are and just show them Christ. This is, this is just Christian character. It just, it's all about character. It's about who you are. It makes sense. It's not about, um, I'm going to go out and show uh, sympathy just because I want to baptize them. No. It's showing sympathy because of Christ dwelling in you. It's because of who you are that you show sympathy. Because of who you are in Christ that you meet people's needs. Just because of who you are in Christ. Makes sense? And it's not just about people as objects. It's people as people. So I just, I just love you as my friend. And because I love you as a friend, I'm going to do this for you. But my main thing, because I love you, is I'm going to bring you to Christ because Christ is your real need. But I want to do that as just your friend, right? So friendship evangelism. Is it simple? Practical? Makes sense? Last quotation. Um, we read this yesterday. And I want to repeat it because I think it's very, very, very profound. As you're reaching out to people, remember that Jesus already knows them. And he already knows what they need. 
And so in your personal work with people, you cannot afford to lose your link with Jesus because Jesus already knows what their needs are. And so your greatest need is Christ and communion with him. And so that's why it comes back down to devotions and time with Christ. You need that time because Jesus knows those people already. And you need him walking with you to direct your efforts for those people. Make sense? So don't lose your time with Jesus. Last quotation. I just love this. Um, it's Desire of Ages, page 142. And we read this yesterday, and I'm going to just repeat it. Our influence upon others depends not so much upon what we say as upon what we are. Men may combat and defy logic. They may resist our appeals, but a life of disinterested service is an argument they cannot gainsay. What does disinterested service mean? Disinterested service. Selfless, right? Just selfless interest in people. Our influence upon others depends not so much upon what we say as upon what we are. Men may combat and defy logic. They may resist our appeals. But a life of disinterested service is an argument they cannot gainsay. And so on a secular campus, people will, they will, they may fight your logical reasoning. They will combat, defy your logic. But your life, if it's selfless love and selfless service, just Christ's method alone, they cannot argue against that, no matter how they try, because that's just the most powerful argument. Like They can't argue against that. And so what wins people the most is just being like Jesus. Like Applying Christ's method just means being like Christ, ultimately, because you can't apply Christ's way if you're not like Christ. And so being like Christ, applying Christ's method, being truly selfless, truly loving, truly sympathetic, truly just meeting people as needs, just truly just being a friend, a loving friend with people, they can't argue against that. So Christ's method alone will bring true success. Um, and so <laughs> we're done. I just want to give a... I really want us to memorize this. I just want to know. Does anybody have it down by memory? Maybe. Anybody want to try? It's okay. Um, well, let's say together one last time, then we'll close. Um, I really just want to challenge this to applying Christ's method at the end of the day just boils down to just being like Jesus. That's all it is. And this is what this is what Jesus did, and this is why alone this method works. No other method works but this method alone, right? So Christ method alone. Let's go together from the top. Christ method alone. Will bring true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs. He won their confidence. Then he bade them follow me. And what you're going to want to do when you go back to campus is write down um, your friends. And what this means is that you win people to Christ most effectively when you're their friend. If I come as a complete stranger and say, hey, Rodney, come to church with me, and then 
Karen, who is his friend, comes and says, Rodney, come to church with me, who will he most likely go to church with? His friend. It just makes sense. People trust their friends, you understand? And that's why Christ's method works, because people trust their friends. And if, if you're people's friend, you can lead them to Jesus most effectively. So make friends for the gospel and just learn to love people and just to be a true friend and bring them to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for instructing us, and we pray that you would just teach us to be like Jesus, um, and to just learn to do ministry Christ's way. Give us what we need, that we may minister to others' needs as well, and now be with us the rest of this day, and keep us. We ask in Jesus' name. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.